As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and loving God, take our lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hands and work through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire, all for Christ's sake. The story of the Canaanite woman is told both in the Gospel of Matthew and of Mark, and I'd like to read this morning from the Gospel of Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning at the 24th verse. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you may know the column in the Wall Street Journal called The Columnists. Once a month, the editors choose one word and ask six luminaries from various fields to reflect on the word. The whole thing fits on a single page, so each person only gets a short column to answer, and I love that. This month's word was conviction. One of the columnists was Pastor William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, he said this, Conviction is not something you just pick up when you're born. You learn it over time. Conviction is how you answer the question, what are you willing to give your life for? That's a compelling response, but it was actually the words of an artist that caught my attention. Feaster Gates, a New York sculptor who works primarily with wood and ceramics, said this, conviction is the energy necessary to pursue what is necessary. Conviction is energy. So often we think conviction is a belief or a concept or a stand for something. We hear almost every day, vote your convictions. But what are convictions? What about the possibility that conviction is an energy, maybe a strength, an ability that we didn't even know that we had until the moment calls for it. 
Today's reading is a compelling story of conviction. A mother has a sick child and needs help. In this encounter between Jesus and the Canaanite woman, we can feel the growing energy in the face of multiple hurdles. And those hurdles are big and real and maybe not so different from those that we face. The first hurdle was Jesus's exhaustion. The scripture tells us that Jesus needed to get out of Galilee and had come to the city of Tyre to rest. At this point in his ministry, Jesus is worn down, wiped out, and in no mood to talk to anyone. He's just finished a grueling period of teaching, preaching, and healing filled with constant controversy only to come home to Galilee to face out-and-out out rejection by the leaders of his community and a lack of faith by his own disciples. And he has just received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. It's too much. He, has, he is physically and emotionally spent. Do you know when you're so tired that you're angry, or is that just me? And I'm guessing that the woman from Tyre with a sick child was frazzled too, thin-skinned, and probably feeling pretty isolated. Any of it sound familiar? Exhaustion, anger, thin-skinned, no mood to talk. The other roadblock was one of race and class. Mark tells us this encounter takes place in Tyre and that the woman is from Tyre. We're in her home city along the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know why Jesus was there except that he was seeking some rest. What many don't know is that Tyre was probably one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest city in the region. It juts out on a beautiful peninsula in the Mediterranean. When you think of Tyre, think Upper East Side of New York, South of Broad in Charleston, Palm Beach, maybe the Hamptons. The elite from Tyre owned second homes, estates in Galilee. They traded slaves from the interior around the Mediterranean and built up substantial wealth. Poor Jewish farmers raised food that provided for these wealthy Greeks, often with none left over for themselves. When Jesus came to Tyre, he probably would have stayed in one of those Jewish homes. The woman from Tyre was most likely a person of wealth and privilege and she was on her home turf, while Jesus and the people in the house lived as the vulnerable underclass. Jesus would have known this history well. And unlike so many gospel stories in this one, she is the insider and Jesus is the outsider. Exhaustion, resentment, a painful history of oppression, all are things that conspire to keep these two apart. The meeting doesn't start out well. 
When the woman pleads with Jesus to heal her daughter, Jesus dismisses her and calls her a dog, a racial slur directed at Gentiles that they both would have understood. Again, the context is important. Jesus is exhausted from serving the poor, the sick, and the outcasts in the Jewish underclass. And when he goes to rest and regroup, a rich Greek woman tracks him down. This conversation should have ended right there. But there are other forces at work in the story, spiritual forces spiritual energy that transform the whole thing. The first spiritual force was the importance of it all. Maybe if the woman had come to Jesus for a lesser cause, maybe even for herself, she would have either slunk away or stormed out of the room. Either way, it would have ended there. But she was there for her daughter, Her heart was filled with the driving force of love. This is a different kind of energy, and I believe this is the spiritual energy that Jesus responds to and that sticks with him. Many preachers at this point describe the woman from Tyre as quick-thinking and witty. She had a comeback for Jesus' slur and outwitted him in the argument. It doesn't feel that way to me. Instead, I'm imagining that when Jesus dismissed her in such a rude way, she was blown back a bit, shocked. This isn't what she heard about this man. This isn't what sent her running here. I think she hesitated there was probably a long silence when she looked at Jesus and looked at herself and remembered her daughter and took a huge, long breath, regrouping, recentering, literally repositioning herself away from both her power and his slur. And taking a deep breath, said even the dogs receive crumbs from the children's table. I'll take anything you've got, Jesus. Please. The second spiritual force I see in this story is the woman's trust in Jesus. She was not a follower of Jesus. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't even necessarily a seeker but she trusted all she had heard about the powerful love of this man more than she trusted his initial reaction. Her faith didn't come from religion or doctrine or even her own culture. There is instead some deeper intuitive knowing in this story. She models for us a kind of raw faith we're so desperate for right now, an intuitive knowing that surely God is with us and is moving in our world, even as we face our own fears and feelings of urgency. And finally, there is the force of intimacy, face-to-face intimacy. Intimacy. 
I know this is a hard one to talk about right now, but we can't ignore it. Jesus and the woman from Tyre were in a room together, talking, arguing, struggling, listening, staying. You and I both know how much easier it is to turn toward one another, to sense one another's spirit beyond the words when we are face to face in a quiet place. One of the things that I've realized living so long with a dog and also with children is that it doesn't matter what your words are, what they're really reading is your energy, your spirit. How many times have I heard one of my children say to me, Mom, and I say, what? I didn't say anything. And they say, you don't have to. I can feel it. Transformations happen when we feel one another's spirit, one another's conviction, one another's energy. And we listen to that the way Jesus did. Jesus, I'll take anything you've got, please. When Jesus heard her say these words, he stopped and turned and said to her, because of these words you have spoken, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. At four o'clock this afternoon, 27 7th and 8th graders are going to gather safely in the parking lot to begin their confirmation year. I've thought long and hard about what I really hope for them this year ahead. What I want for them is the conviction of this woman from Tyre. I don't care if they check all the right boxes of belief as a Presbyterian or even as a Christian. What I want for them to have is a deep, intuitive knowing, the kind that lives in the heart. I want them to know that no matter who they are, rich or poor or in between, male or female or gender nonconforming, Jew or Greek, that God's love and compassion are meant for them. I want them to know that as a Christian, our convictions, the energy we need to do what is necessary, grows out of a driving force of love, our trust in God, and our intimacy, our life together. What a day to begin confirmation. All Saints Day, the day in which we gather to give thanks for those in our congregation, in our lives, and in the world whose lives and faith have been a light to us. My prayer is that like this woman from Tyre, an unlikely saint for sure, the love and faith of these saints, their convictions, will surround us as a cloud and will be a guide for us in these days ahead and an encouragement. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, send your Spirit upon us and fill us with all that we need. 
May our convictions be centered in nothing less than your love and our abiding trust in you. Amen.